If I haven't met you before, my name is uh, Jeremy, and uh, the A4 mentioned Jeremy, um, and uh, it's nice to be kind of back with you, I guess is what you call it, but um, it's really lovely to bring you a message from the Word of God today. Uh, let me quickly pray, and uh, then we'll hook into our, our passage. Father, as we can come to your Word, we thank you for your Word, your revelation to us, that we may see what is untrue and un, unreal and false in our world and be brought into the space where you tell us what is real and true and full of hope. Father, as we consider this this morning, what the specific fear is that you're, you're raising up to us to be talking about, would you prepare our hearts to be open to listening to you, that we may change in our souls and be more like your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amplify boys head out, and Richard is going to do uh, take girls as well. So girls, you can head out too. Thanks, Richard. All right. Okay. Um, so I want to just just frame this a little bit before we um, read the, read the passage, because we're talking about fear, and fear is a very broad broad word, isn't it? We use it we use it a lot, and it can mean a lot of different things. So I want to. Um, throw a few things around and then we'll, we'll kind of specify it a little bit more as we go along. I remember uh, a number of years ago, I, um, uh, Kath had a group of people around. Uh, I wasn't involved in that particular group, so I was just, I was down in the bedroom. Uh, you know, probably ironing or something. <laughs> and, <clears throat> wow, man, you laugh. Gee. Um, the next thing I hear is, is these screams, like, and, and it was terrifying screams. So, so I go down, and uh, it was in the kind of kitchen, you know, the, the, the eating area of our house, dining room kind of. And uh, one of these people was literally up on the table. Another one had a chair up, like, you know, you get the legs up like you're ready, ready for war. So these were, I don't know, 60, 70 kg people. And there in the corner of the room, was a 50-gram mouse. <laughs> and I don't know whether mice can laugh, but it either was terrified or laughing. I know what I was doing. <laughs> now, we can look at fear and go, there's an irrationality sort of with that. But I have a bit of a fear in a particular space too. I, I just, for whatever reason, I don't know where it kind of came from, I just detest rats. I just, I just don't like rats, which was problematic when you're a veterinarian, right? And I remember one day someone came in for a consultation and they wandered in and they had no animal with them. And I said, g'day, and I said, oh, who are we seeing today? Well, the next thing, in the sweatshirt, up, I can, yeah, I can see you, Jewel, you're with me, right? <laughs> Out it came, here's who we're looking at today, right? So there, there can be this sense of irrationality that sits with our fears. I remember when I was doing prison ministry, and one of the, one of the um, guys there, he gave me the acronym that some of you have probably heard too, this idea of false experiences appearing real. We have this ability in our mind, it's a, it's a wonderful ability, that we can create uh, or look forward to something that might happen. It, it prepares us, doesn't it, 
for, for things that might go on. And if we prepare well, it's really helpful. That what we can do is, someone talked about it like this, imagine you're on a raft and you're going down a gorge and it's about to do a big bend. You, you can't see past where that bend is. It could be just continual flat waters or it could be massive rapids. You don't know. But what we do in our minds, we have this ability to think ahead, don't we? Now, that, that can be helpful for us, right? But it can be very unhelpful for us at times too. Remember an Australian movie years ago? I can't remember what it was called. It wasn't a very well-known movie, but it was this um, lady who lived in Melbourne. And in Melbourne, they have these train tracks that are above the ground, you know. And um, so it, it was just this movie, and it was show her in what well, wasn't real life, but show her as a normal movie kind of thing. And then she would be walking along, and everything for everybody would look normal, but it would flick to this creative, artistic thing going, showing what was actually going on in her head. And what she was imagining is that train that was going over with nothing wrong with it was actually coming off the tracks and crashing into these houses, and everything was kind of burning with it, right? We can, we, we, we can do this with it. But not all our fears are irrational. And, and fear or being afraid, scared, however you kind of use it, has the same effect in our body. It, 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 um, our body mobilizes, our adrenal gland kicks in, and there's adrenaline and cortisol, and our metabolism speeds up, like some of you did watching a game this morning, right? It's, 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 a, it's something that, but, but we can persist kind of in it. Our, our body has these ways of doing it and coping with it. But sometimes those fears are very real too, aren't they? Very real. And so the question that sits here, because John raises this thing called fear. And what I want you to do is when we read this passage and as we work our way through it, I want you to think, what is it that he's talking about? Because I think he's talking about a very specific type of fear. And, and, and is it a rational one? And then why does he take, go from here is this fear to a solution that comes out the other side of it? It's important for us to understand. So let's read the text. Um, we're going to read the end of chapter 4 and then work our way back a little bit. So verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. There's a little test, isn't it? The one who has this fear hasn't been perfected, or we're going to use the word more completed, I'll, I'll explain that a little bit more, in love. We love because he, Jesus, first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this commandment from him. Whoever loves God must love his brother as well. Right, now I want to take a step back because this passage in many ways starts back in verse 7 where it says, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God 
everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. It's kind of the header that he then spends time explaining. I just want to go through a few verses and help you understand what he's been talking about to give us the context. So this is um, where we start in verse 7. Then in verse 9, we get this. This is how God's love was revealed among us. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now, the, the main theme, the word that runs all the way through here is that the topic that he's talking about is the love of God. And he's contrasting that to a love that we would have in our world, a, a, a love that the world tells us about and teaches us about and says, this is what love is. And it's really important that we, that we understand the contrast between these two things. Because essentially he's saying this, you don't really get what love is unless you understand God's love. Because he says God is love, and then God reveals his love, right? And so he's saying there's a love that we've developed for ourselves in the world, but because we leave God out of it, It's missing the mark. So what's the contrast? Ah, it's revealed. It's a revelation. It's something we didn't understand. But God says, here it is. Here's my object lesson so you understand what God's love looks like. Here it goes. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. All right. Now, we've heard this a lot, don't we? We hear it all the time in church. It's foundational, but something sometimes we can hear so often that we miss the beauty and the excitement kind of of it. But he's already starting to contrast here. See, we have here this giving love. God saw a need down here. We see in the garden, see, don't eat that fruit. <laughs> Just don't eat it. Why? Because when you eat it, you'll die. Not just a physical death, a soul death. One of the things that will happen in your soul death is that you will start becoming selfish. You will have a self-orientated love that, that is actually quite needy. It actually needs affirming. We see this, we see this in our world so much, and I see it in my own heart, so, so I'm not throwing something out there that I'm not looking back at myself, right? Isn't it amazing how much of the world's love needs affirmation? I, I need somebody to love me. I need somebody to affirm me. And those people who don't love me and affirm me in whatever I'm doing or whatever category I put myself kind of in, well, they're kind of haters and I don't sort of need them. I want to need... And so we, we're, interestingly enough, we, we think that we've got this, we need to just have this self-love is what they took. But our self-love needs external affirmation. Have you noticed that? The Bible says, well, that's true. Because there's a place in your soul to receive the external affirmation of the love of God. And it can't be replaced by anything that humans can give. So we start seeing here already, God is sending his one and only son, but you see the object of why he's doing. There's an objective to the son coming. 
It's just not, they're going to go, oh, this is a nice thing to kind of do, <laughs> right? It's going, there's a group of people down here, this, hum, this human beings that we created in, in God's image. They're special, but they're dying. And there's only one way for them to come back. And that's if we, the Trinity, give into that space so that we can provide a way back so that they may live. Now, we're already starting to see the contrast here. A worldly love has as its object me. If you stop and think about it long enough, you know this, right? This is how we live and we operate. And it makes us superficial and scared and frightened and unable to be vulnerable and true and all of these things that kind of come with it because we are needy and other people are needy in this space, right? And so the object of me being nice and being loving is actually because I need something back in return. God operates by going, I'm giving and showing love in a sacrificial way. And the object of that love is human beings. Let's keep going. And love consists in this. Hmm. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. So here's the environment that sits in it. Again, we've got a contrast here. We find it very easy to love people who will love us back however you define that. We find it easy for people who will affirm us and not critique us and not discipline us and not do all the other things that we find hard and kind of difficult, right? But God looks at it and goes, here's a group of people who have actively rejected me. They're not loving me even though I'm the one who created them. So in this environment of not being loved, God still loves and loves in this way, it says, and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Some of your Bibles might even say propitiation is a wonderful word, right? Is this idea that if you could add up all of the things that humanity has done as individuals and collective were laid on the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. And there was a work that happened on the cross that is a level that I can understand, but a, a, an incredible level that I can't. But in some way, there is a transfer of my sin off of me and onto Christ. And God the Father, who is loving but also just, is satisfied with what Jesus Christ has done. Now, this love and justice is a really interesting one for us. I've been interested in the, um, in the media profiling and portrayals and stories and w that we're getting through for the whole Israeli-Hamas-Palestinian conflict. And I'm not going to make a, a, a comment on the conflict, but what is interesting in it is I think we're all seeing it in some way and we cry out for justice. I heard a story of one of the... Um, it was a friend of a father whose daughter is a hostage, still a hostage as far as I understand. She was brutally treated and then taken on the back of a ute 
through the streets and the crowds spat on her. Now, when you hear that, it doesn't matter where you hear that from. And where you, like, when you hear that, what does your heart do? It cries for justice, doesn't it? It cries for justice. That is so wrong on so many levels. We want that justice. And yet, we're not perfect light, as it describes in John. We have a mixture of light and darkness in us. And yet, John starts off this message saying, God is all light. There's no darkness in him. And so when a being, the personal creator God, who is all light and no darkness, sees that, what do you think he cries out for? Justice! More so than us. And he goes, well, where can, I, where can I get that justice to take place? Because if I pour it out on the people who did it, there's no way that they can pay it back. Now, we hear that story and we go, yeah, good, Jeremy, I get kind of that. God's going to sort that out. And then it comes to me. And I go, well, I'm not that person. I wouldn't do that. Although, perhaps I might if I was given in the right environment. I don't know. But what I do know is this. There's enough darkness in me that if I have to stand before the God who's going to judge and enact justice on this world, I have nothing to stand on. And that should and does frighten me. And that's why this is good news. Because God is both loving and just in what he does with Jesus Christ in this. Let's keep moving. And so what he says next is, uh, we come down, it says this, and we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. Okay, now stay with this verse here. It's the same verse, I've just put it back up here. We had a, a long discussion on Thursday night when we were looking at this, well, this extended kind of passage. And someone said, well, one of the things that's different about God's love is it's unconditional. And I know what they meant by it. But I want you to think about it for a second. Is there any sort of conditions that sit sort of with it? Well, this verse says something, doesn't it? And it says it in the past tense because this is an encouraging letter. This is saying to people who, who know and believe in the name of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done. But he says three things in there that I think are important for us to, to, to know. He says, the first one is that you have to know this. So what I have just explained about the, that God is love and he's light and in him there is no darkness. And he is love, and he revealed his love by sending his son so that I can know what love really is if I look at Jesus Christ and what he did. And then I understand that on that cross that somehow he was there in my place for my sin, right? And that God was satisfied with what is done. I can know that, right? First of all, I have to know that. And all of you, if you've never known that before, you do now. We all know this, right? 
But the second step is this, is do I believe that? Because there's plenty of supernatural beings in our world who know that, but, but they don't come under that in the sense of, of understanding and believing and trusting. I believe the love that God has for me. I, ha- I have to, this is the, that step of faith in it, isn't it? It's that step where I go. I can, I, can know this, I can know this in my sort of head, but there's some point where I go, that is a love that I need. That is a love that I need. And so I have to believe it. I have to step into that place of faith. And then the third one is, is this idea of abiding. I, I now dwell with God. His Spirit dwells in me. And there's this part where He says, God abides in me, and it says, I abide in God, but there's, there's this partnership of living on kind of together with it. And so he says here that there's this movement of it. Now, I'm not going to say, it, it's some, I don't care what wording you sort of use with it, but, but there's some conditional way that we have to step in and receive this love of God. It's not imposed upon us, then, then it wouldn't be love, would it? It has to be freely understood and chosen that I receive it and that I abide in it. Now, here's where he moves next. So this is the immediate verse after it, and he says, in this way. Now, that's, that's a really important uh, set of words there. So I've just heard all of this about how God loves that it's not some selfish love, that the object of it is something external and it's, it's to meet the need of somebody else. And it's done in a, at a cost. And he's going, in this way, love has been perfected among us. And this idea of, per- we hear the word perfect and we hear it there and we go, oh, everything's in its place and nothing's missing. It's everything. But it's more this idea, I think, of being completed. Think, think of an artist who, who has a canvas, and they're painting it, and they paint the background of it, and then they bring out the depth and the color, and, the, and you see you, it's, it's an amazing kind of process that's sort of going on. And it's not until that last little stroke of the brush is done there, and they go, it's sort of finished. But there's a completion process, but you see what is going on there. Love is being perfected among us. And there's a sense in which it's, it's being done by what Jesus Christ has done, but there's a sense in which it's happening in amongst us, as we do this, we know what this love is. We believe what this love is, and we see how it's contrasted with the world, and we dwell in that place, right? We dwell in that place. In this way, love has been perfected among us that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, for in this world, we are just like Him. And this is where he introduces the very specific fear that's to be taken away. Jesus is coming back. The Bible says that over and over and over again. People debate about the details of it. Different Christians have different views on how how it will progress, but they all agree Jesus is coming back. And one of the things that will happen on that, when, that moment when he returns is that there will be a judgment, right? Because what we talked about with justice. If he leaves justice undone, uncompleted, just leaves it in that kind of way, then it's, it, 
it, it would go against who he is in his nature. But I have a problem. My problem is this. Well, it's not a problem. For me, it's been solved. <laughs> not because of anything that I have done. In fact, just the opposite. What I have done was the reason why Jesus had to come. But he says, this love takes away the fear. And I think this fear is a very real one for us. It's why our love still desires for affirmation. It's why I, I, I read an article this week and, and a whole lot of things associated. It was about this idea of um, the surprising persistence of guilt in our world. It's a really interesting fact that, that people still feel guilty and they're still looking for ways to have their guilt kind of redeemed and they look for it in ways in the world. We still have this, this place there. We, we, we need somebody to come in who is able to relieve us of this guilt and this shame that we can feel with it. And this is what God says here, John is saying here in this letter, you don't have to fear this when you have trusted in Jesus Christ. You don't have to fear it. And what conquers that fear is God's love, God's loving action, and because we are the recipients, ultimately, of that love. Right? And so now he goes back to our, our main passage. He says, there's no fear in this love. This perfect love dries out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. That love is still being completed within them. And he says this in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. He's the primary mover in making this happen. So he creates the environment within in which I can respond to him in particular ways. Um, I'm not sure whether this originated with Tim Keller, but he's certainly one of the ones who used it, and I, I, I find this very helpful. If we could think of a, a quadrant, a two-by-two two sort of square, and on one of the axes we, we put in whether we're unknown or known by, this, by another person, another human being, and on the other one we put whether we're unloved or loved by that person. And so each of those uh, four squares in that then contains something. So the first one would be, is I am unloved by somebody I don't really know, or they don't really know me, okay? It might hurt a little bit with it, but, but I don't really know them. The relationship isn't that kind of critical with it, and so it might hurt a little bit, but, it, but it, on the grand scheme of things, it's not so critical for us, right? The second one, um, when we come down as we go, um, what did I do? I did unloved and unknown second one would be is that um, I'm unknown, but I'm loved. I think this categorizes vast majority of our relationships in our world today. We don't want to be known. We like to stay a little bit hidden, because there's a bit of frightenness if someone really knew who I was, right? But they love me because I project whatever superficial, you know, um, uh, framing that I want to put out there. I, I think about whether if I need affirmation from that person, will I want to be 
um, what that person would need for me to give that affirming sort of life. So we're, we're showing our neediness in that kind of space. And so we live in this superficial level of relationship that sits with it. The third category, though, is that I'm known and I'm unloved. And Keller says that's probably our greatest fear. That I, I, I reveal myself, I, I'm vulnerable, I open up, I, I, I want and I need to be loved by another person and they reject me. And there's something here, I think, that relates to this fear that's being talked about here. Our greatest need here is that our love is from the Creator God who made us and restored us through this rescue plan and loves us. And so the fourth category is this, that you are known and that you are loved. Now we're getting at this love that drives out fear. Because nothing in you is hidden from God. Nothing. He knows the intents of your heart. He knows all your thoughts, all your actions, all you've ever done. And he still says, you're loved. He had to send Jesus Christ on the cross because there was, for the sake of justice, there was stuff that in my life needed to be dealt with and paid for, right? And I have to step into that place to receive it and believe it, which I have done, <laughs> And then now I know, I know, I just know deep within my soul, I don't have that fear anymore. I don't have a fear of rejection from God. I don't have a fear when I project forward that one day I stand before him because I am covered by Jesus. He sits at the right hand of the Father and I'll rock up that day and say, I'm with him. And the, and the positive word that says there is confidence. I have a confidence. Now what he then does is he layers the natural thing from that there is. Is if this is a love that we have experienced, if this is a love that we know and that we believe and that we live and dwell in, well then what would that look like in people we live with? Just think about this for a second. This is why this test is in there. He's saying, how could you know that? That you can live without fear, with confidence, without shame because of what Jesus Christ has done, that on that future day of judgment, that you won't be condemned, that he has loved you in that way, and then you come down to earth and there's that person there that you just can't love them. He's going, hang on a second, what's going on here? Do you see why this is a natural thing for him to say in this space? And what he's doing, I think, is just going this. What you need to do there is if you know that you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, then the correction is in your heart. You go, I've got to stop and get away from this worldly, selfish, affirming kind of love, and I need to get back to this gospel message. That I can only love because God loved me first. I can only sacrificially give of myself because Jesus Christ sacrificially gave for me. 
I can only know that love because God revealed that love by sending his son and his son moving in loving action toward me. And so John, in this beautiful flow of things, makes perfect sense. If I am struggling to love the people around me, then I need to return in this space and re-understand the love of God for me. Kath's going to come forward and pray as we roll into communion. But as she does so, I just, we're going to have a, 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 as we go into communion, I want you to think about where you're at with God. And there's a couple of places there with it. Some of you will just be in wonderful celebration. You hear this and you are just filled with joy because you know that fear, that specific fear is gone. Just celebrate it, right? Some of you, there may be a stirring in your heart to go, I know this message, but there's places there that are still shifting, it's still being completed, that painting is still being done, and God, can you still keep working in it? But some of you, maybe it's the first time you've heard it, maybe the first time you've kind of understood it in a way, but you haven't made that step where you've moved into a space where I receive the love of God through the work of Jesus Christ. And I think you should pray this morning to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, receive his love, so that he can give you confidence about who you are, that he knows you, and you are completely loved. We warmly invite each one of you just to join us around the table, to come without fear, to come with confidence before our Lord, alongside one another as we sup together. Let's pray. Father, as we draw near to you in prayer, we become acutely aware of the poverty of our love for you and the extravagance of your great love for us. You called us beloved. Help us, Lord, infuse our thoughts, hearts and souls with a deepening appreciation of this truth. We've often given our hearts to unworthy causes. At times we have loved the accumulation of the world's treasures and sought security in them, but this comes with a growing disillusionment. We often love and pursue comfort and ease, but with an increasing awareness that this can stifle our spiritual maturity. We have loved the temporary fix of power and influence over others on too many occasions. Forgive us, Lord. Rescue us. You have rescued us from our sin. You've rescued us from the destructive and disordered love for self above our love for you. Your word proclaims God is love and that Jesus Christ is the tangible manifestation of his goodness and grace, his justice and mercy. May the Holy Spirit elevate and make much of the name of Jesus Christ in us and through us. May your people gather today who have received the gift of your transformative grace ruminate on these truths. His pain has brought us peace. His sacrifice brings us security and removes all fear. Father, as we humbly accept this blessed position through Christ, there is a rising awareness that alone we cannot manufacture the deep love required for others. You are the giver of love, and unless you bestow it, we will not obtain it. Today we ask you to enlarge our hearts to love others as you love to see others as you see them, to esteem the needs of others over our own, 
to perform that radical surgery on our hearts, cleansing us of the conceit and self-ambition that we attempt to conceal. Give us courage and strength to take up our cross each day, follow you, which will inevitably create a beautiful ripple effect within our church community, drawing the attention of our wider community and bringing you all the glory due your name alone. As the great Scottish preacher Peter Marshall once prayed, let compassion rise within me, warm and sweet, that I may not merely love those easy to love. Help me to love those who are hard to live with. Give me a concern for the needs of others, not on the basis of exchange, not love given for love received, but love given to the unlovely for Christ's sake. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us all through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who has promised is faithful. We give you thanks for this bread and juice, representing your broken body and blood shed for our sin. We are redeemed. We are restored. We are your beloved. Amen.